Welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm Sal Interdenal. The Black Knight Nation podcast is sponsored by Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon was founded by Joe Ross, former Army fullback, former Army assistant coach. And we thank Joe Ross for sponsoring this podcast. And we'd like to bring on a very special guest that we're honored to have tonight, uh, former Secretary of the Army, Ryan McCarthy. Ryan, thanks a lot for joining us tonight. This is the latest that we've done a podcast live. I appreciate you uh, shuffling your schedule a little bit for mine and uh, coming on the podcast tonight. Oh, it's uh, excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Sal. No problem. Before we went on, we were talking a lot about what's in the news lately, especially on the Navy ath- athletics side where uh, Cam Kinley, uh, uh, he was the captain of the art uh, the Navy football team. He was the president of the, of the, of the senior class of Navy and he was um you know, in Buccaneer, he was um, signed by the Buccaneers, and now the Navy earlier this week tells him he cannot go right to uh, to work out with the with the Buccaneers. He's got to go uh, fulfill his service. Um, for uh, I, I don't even know what the, the the policy is anymore. It used to be two years, and then you can ask for out. Um, but Ryan, you were talking about how you were involved with the current Army NFL players getting into the NFL, and you had some pretty good stories about that that we can talk about. Um, first off, uh, what was your talk about your involvement first off with just, um, the current army football players, the Brett toast, the Cole Christiansons, the Elijah Riley's and how you, you were involved in getting them, uh, at the NFL chance. So it was, uh, like May, June of 2019. And I, uh, was the, uh, down at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, just got done swimming at the pool and I went back and I'm getting dressed and Adam Schefter NFL insider is on ESPN and I'm putting my tie on. And he says the Philadelphia Eagles are, are looking to sign to sign Brett Toth subject to department of defense approval, which I would have had a direct role in, and um, obviously in reviewing that paperwork and approving. And I thinking Brett Toth, big kid, where, which one was he, you know, and I said, I picked up the phone and I, I called General Williams. It was about seven thirty in the morning, and um, he started going into the particulars how the Philadelphia Eagles had expressed interest, and that Brett was a, Brett was a second lieutenant out at Fort Sill at the time, and and uh, you know we started asking questions like, is how much weight has he lost? Could he actually come back and make the conversion? He's been away from football uh, for almost for just about a year, and. Um, we quickly got the paperwork. We got him signed. And uh, I personally got involved to call uh, Howie Rosenman, the uh, general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles. And he had told me that had the policy been different when Brett came out of college, he was a, would roughly be drafted in the top three rounds of the NFL draft. Has that caliber yeah. of an offensive lineman, I mean, prolific run blocker in the words of Howie. And, um, and this is a guy that's, Built a Super Bowl caliber football team, uh, so it was it was stunning to me. And but this was shortly after the president at the time, at the time President Trump had said he wanted to change the policy that if we had athletes that were capable of playing professional sports, that we would apply the waiver. Now, now there's legal. Um, it's kind of a gray issue with the Congress. So when we changed the policy, it was that the service secretaries could waive. Um, the uh, the service requirement or adjusted. So we put them into like a reserve status and they could conduct reserve duty in the off season. 
what we constructed for Brett because it was done so quickly before a formal policy had been approved throughout the Department of Defense, you know, a uniform across the Navy and the Air Force and the Marine Corps, uh, that Brett was assigned essentially to the Temple University ROTC department while he was going to play for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, right around the cuts came, Brett was released by the Eagles, but picked up immediately by the, the Cardinals and he made the roster. And then we just flipped it to Arizona State. Uh, you know, he dressed for games and he got he got snaps that year. Um, so that the challenge was we moved so quickly without the communication to Congress, but ultimately making it uh, a uniform policy across the services that the implementation became different. I mean, the Air Force has uh, had a couple players that have made the league. Uh, Minnesota, they have a long snapper. They had another uh, another guy made. Uh, anyway, uh, and then they have a, that one of their punters, once he graduated, went to Alabama. And he punted for Alabama last year and got a national title ring. Hmm. So, um, the, you know, the caliber of athletes that are playing at the service academies right now is truly exceptional. Uh, and when you get down to brass tacks, we're looking at maybe one or two at best a year. And if you look at that across all of the athletics, which, I mean, uh, Black Knight athletics are thriving right now, whether it's lacrosse or baseball or rugby, that we have individuals that could play at the next level. All told, you're not even looking at a dozen in the graduating class of a thousand cadets. And then the lifespan of a professional athlete, is 22 months in the NFL, for example, they're going to come back and they're going to wear that uniform and they're going to finish their obligation. Uh, it's just, it's incredible value for recruiting. Uh, it helps make stronger teams, but also there we get every time one of them gets out on, on, uh, on the TV screen, they're talking about how they played football at the Academy, that they're going to go on active duty, that they talk about the character of these men and women. So it's immense value for the department. The implementation of policy has been messy. And that's why it's confusing if you see one service versus another make decisions that don't reflect accurate, you know, really in, in uniform across all the departments. See, I always was on the mindset that it should be uniform across the departments, right? In early um, 2000s, probably like 2000, maybe four to seven, there was that alternate service option uh, that the Army used and Josh Holden was able to play baseball and Caleb Campbell was able to get drafted by the Detroit lions. But then that, then you had, you, I'm sure you had Navy and air force say, Hey, why are they doing this? And we can't do this or we're not, or we're not willing to do this or whatever. And so what are your thoughts on that? Should it, should it try to be as uniform as possible for the, for the three major service academies? Absolutely. Uh, Secretary Esper put us down the path to do that. And then we started getting into conversations with our committees of jurisdiction. So if you go to the Congress, every, every department across the executive branch has a congressional oversight arm. Ours are the Senate and House Armed Services Committee. And then, of course, defense appropriations on both the House and Senate side. And you have to go talk to the, in particular, the they call the armed services the authorizers because you're changing a law about how you would execute their service obligations. And, uh, you know, the committees wanted to really understand how liberal are you going to implement this policy? 
what is the threshold to allow somebody to go to the next level? And one of the things that General Williams and uh, Mike Buddy, uh, the athletic director, we, we talked about was we've got to go out and sell this and explain this to the National Football League in particular because of how they make investment decisions on these players because they know the windows of their careers in many cases is two to three years. And we can't screw around with them, you know, being tugged in one direction to go teach ROTC or, uh, you know, go to a, uh, you know, have other service obligations. They got to be focused on football. They got to lift weights. They got to watch tape. So we needed to do a better job with that. That was as much on me as it was on them. But uh, as, a, as an institution, you need to do a better job explaining they're going to be there and they're going to be able to play. And we'll get them on the other side. Uh, so that was the first thing. But then, Getting back to just the feasibility, uh, we talked a lot about draft grades. I mean, what is the draft grade of this individual? I talked to the general manager of the Chargers about Cole Christensen, and that's why, you know, stroke the pen, he made the team. You know, so uh, it, it was it was us getting the maturity as an athletic department about do these individuals really have – the goods to make it to the next next level. And then we go forward with applying a waiver to them. So uh, we had to grow in this process uh, and, and ultimately get, get it refined in such a way so that we can make these calls very quickly and easily. And you could justify them to the Congress, the American people, the, you know, the taxpayers that paid for the tuition for them to go there to school. Do you think, uh, what Navy uh, this apparently had um, happened earlier. Now, it, was, didn't, it was announced on Monday, but this is something that had happened maybe a, a few weeks back. I had heard that, you know, Navy baseball players weren't going to get a chance to go immediately to uh, the minor leagues or professional baseball. Um, do you think that this eventually will become uniform and the army and air force will follow what Navy is Navy has recently done and rescind these opportunities for, you know, athletes or no? Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, the uh, Obviously, I, I left government in January uh, that this policy was not mature, that these are one-offs that have come forward as far back to your point uh, of, you know, the early 2000s, um, that it, you know, it takes a lot of communication to the alumni, you know, all the old grads of West Point to the committees of jurisdiction who uh, have oversight of the Department of Defense to explain the rationale, the justification, and then ultimately why we're going to get behind these athletes and give them this opportunity. That takes a lot of energy. And, uh, you know, so, and you just had a change in administration. You have new players in particular in these policy roles that are going to make these decisions. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's unfortunate we didn't get it, the concrete to, to, to drive before, before I left my job, but uh, um, there's, there's information there and there are track records, recent ones. I mean, it, Connor Slomka, he got cut by the Jags, but he got invited. Cole Christensen, maybe. Elijah Riley, uh, Brett Toth. I mean, I remember meeting all these young men, watching them play in college, talking to them about this opportunity. Uh, stroke the pen on their their waivers, and uh, I mean three for four is pretty good, right? That's that's Hall of Fame stuff, but you know that's pretty good for the program. That's great for the institution. It's great for the Army, uh, but it's building that track record, and then being able to show how 
these guys rate it and how they're going to ultimately come back and fulfill some type of service requirement, whether it's longer time in the reserves or they do active duty stint after a couple of years in the league. Yeah, I believe Connor Slomka is back into – I mean, he's He's serving. a full getting after it. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's serving, and, and that probably happened – as soon as it didn't work out for him in the NFL, right? That's I mean, right. he was back to being being an army army officer. Um, I just I just look at um, right now we have uh, John Radigan who just graduated West Point is uh, has been assigned by the Seahawks and he's in uh in, in their offseason program too. So I just wonder. Um, I don't even know if you can answer this. This is me just talking out you know talking out loud. Um, like the guys like Riley and Christensen and Toth, they're 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 are they grandfathered, so to speak, or could they possibly be, you know, all of a sudden be summoned to go back to being army officers? Well, I think, I mean, stroke of a pen, they could be back at Fort Benning. So I think uh, uh, it could happen very quickly. I have not heard of anything uh, that would uh, jeopardize their current stance. It's the, the, the challenge is, is that when the policy wasn't smooth, that there's still a lot left open. You have new people that have entered the department that may take a different look to it. But uh, this is the sort of thing that uh, General Williams will work with the Department of the Army and, and ultimately Office of Secretary of Defense. And, uh, you know, they're thriving in these opportunities. And I think it's really great for the Army. Yeah. And uh, it, it was different. I know that back when in, in the 2000s that we were talking about, there was the world-class athlete program, which I'm not sure even exists. And I'm not sure if it exists anymore to that extent, because you do have, you know, hockey players in, in the professional ranks from army. You do have um, a soccer player um, for the Portland Timbers out there. Um, that is our, a recent army grad. So, I mean, you, you, like you said, th these are success stories, right? These are, got, these are um, graduates who were, were granted the opportunity to pursue the professional ranks and they are, they're, they are making teams and they are playing. And like you said, the, the benefit for the, the Academy, the benefit for the army it, it is there when they, when they're out there and, and when they're not on the field, on and off the field. Right. Absolutely. You know, I mean, a lot of very talented 18 year olds all think they're going to play professional football and they, they get into the division one ranks and they see how hard it is just to play Division One football. And even, even a team like Alabama who wins a national title and they get maybe a dozen players that go across all seven rounds of the NFL draft, and not all of them make the league. Now, you might have six of them go in the first round and they're going to make it, but not all of them. So, you know, the statistical probability to reach the NFL, it's, it's actually better to get hit by lightning. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's – it's something that as you mature, you get to play to a division one sport, which is, is truly incredible. Uh, but over time, the maturity comes, but it's a tool for recruiting. It makes better football teams. You get one or two players that are NFL caliber. You're, you're going to win bowl. You're going to go to bowl games. That's for sure. Uh, so, and it helps, helps really from the standpoint of why it was so important to me when I was the undersecretary of the army, the secretary of the army, you put it into context. A thousand officers a year come out of West Point. We'll commission 5,000 every summer. 20% of every officer cohort in the United States Army graduated from West Point. So that's your, that is your platform, your foundation. 
And you want them to have the attitude and the effort of winners. You hear General McConville talk about winning matters all the time. The mindset. Winners have a very strong attitude. And when you win in football and you win in baseball and you win in hockey and you win in lacrosse, there's an attitude that comes out of that institution. I mean, you look at universities in this country, why they pour so much money in athletics, brings that spirit, the pride in the institution. Uh, and, 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 the, and the teamwork you get, the friends you make, it's, it's incredible for our profession, for officers to have that discipline, maximizing repetitions. 90% of how well they do before they ever deploy anywhere is going to be decided before they ever got on that airplane. And nothing can be a, a better way to learn how to do that well in this profession than athletics. Yeah, I mean, just in past guests on this podcast, um, from Scott Spellman, who's the chief of the engineers, to Pat Work, who uh, works in the Pentagon, they they uh, swear by the, the lessons that they learned on the field at West Point and how it's helped them uh, lead uh, um, soldiers and and be very, um, you know, just as far as being officers and moving up the officer ranks and how those lessons at West Point on and off the field have really helped them out. So absolutely. Um, this is something that, I mean, Obviously, Ryan, when you were uh, the secretary of the army, this is something that you really believed in, right? I mean, this is something that you, you seem to be pretty passionate in because, um, you know, under under your watch, you know, you said that Brett Toth, Elijah Riley, Cole Christensen, and Connor Slumka, you you did sign off on those guys. So it's something that you you, you really believe in, in in that in the mission, so to speak. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. When I was the undersecretary, I went out to that game when they played in Oklahoma and Norman. And, uh, you know, the, you look at the offensive line play. I mean, they're giving up 25, 30 pounds across the line of scrimmage. And these guys were getting pad level underneath them, locking into them. And they rushed for like over 400 yards on Oklahoma and took them to overtime. And, and when, they, when they left the field, all 90,000 people in Norman gave them a standing ovation when the Army team went off the field. And one of the things that you couldn't be more proud of, they go in the locker room and they cleaned the locker room before they left. No tape on the floor, you know, no crushed paper cups or anything like that. It was as clean as when they walked in. Uh, not only did they take a team that went on to play in the national semifinals to overtime, they left with as much class as they came in. And it's really remarkable. Uh, when you, you have experiences like that and you watch them do that. And, and that really galvanized the team. They went on, they didn't lose another game the rest of the season. They go on to a bowl game and they killed that, uh, was it Houston team or something? Uh, but um, it was incredible. Uh, but you, you, you really feel it. And it's not just football. Uh, I was there in the fall of, I think it was 2019. Um, we went and saw women's rugby. And Sammy Sullivan, player of the year, and uh, – and just watch those women just pound uh, – who were they playing? Uh, Quinnipiac or something. And, uh, and just killed them. And uh, down there, it's freezing cold and muddy. And uh, and you see the character of those women. They're going to be tremendous officers. I mean, this kind of person I'd want to be in charge of my daughter. You know, they were just remarkable young women. Uh, we stayed out there all night freezing cold. And it was great, really great time. I was down there with the soup and the uh, – had a lot of laughs, but it's it's when you see that character that they have and the way they love their teammates, and and they're really the the physical and mental toughness they display. It was really really impressive. But you're seeing that across all the sports. 
And I really credit uh, a lot of it, you know, started with Boo Corrigan, but Mike Buddy has not, has not skipped a beat as the athletic director. And it's continuing to grow and bringing in the more very talented head coaches and assistants to fill out these staffs that really understand the culture. Uh, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you because understanding the culture, but they're bringing that winning mentality. I was gonna ask you. Sorry for interrupting there. I was gonna ask you about you know you as an army fan, but I wanted to get to this real quick. Um, uh, Pat work here. Uh, his description of you. Are you ready for this? I, I got. Ta- I don't you know what if you want to do that. Day. You you were on the group chat, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, no, you, it's okay. You can edit that. That's fine. <laughs> Well, I want, he, one of the things he said about you is a spine for days. A spine for days. I don't know. I, I, I that's that's the one that that's the one that uh, stuck out for me. Now you were in the you were an Army Ranger before um, you graduated from um, Virginia Military Institute, um, and then how did you be, how did you become on the uh, path to become an Army Ranger? Is it something after? How does that? How did that work out for you? Uh, infantry school and uh, went to the third infantry infantry school, ranger school, all of the prerequisite requirements to uh, um, basically put in your paperwork to apply for the ranger regiment, and then you go through a series of uh, a, a, basically a series of physical, mental, and uh, emotional kind of testing. You go in front of a board of senior officers and non-commissioned officers. Uh, started preparing me for life in front of congressional testimony a long time ago, really. And uh, then they ultimately select you for service into the Ranger Regiment. But you have to really perform well in your conventional assignment. You need to really be in that top 1% just to even to apply. And, um, you know, I I really, when you look at the experience as a a Ranger student and then ultimately selected to the Ranger Regiment, uh, what makes it was such a, an important part of my life because in ranger school, a third of your grade is peer evaluations. Would they follow you? Would they believe in you? And then ultimately in the ranger regiment, the power of the non-commissioned officers to be able to say, this guy's not cutting it. You know, so uh, the non-commissioned officers have tremendous influence. And, uh, and that's really important that your teammates believe in you and that you can hang around. Uh, so, uh, I did well uh, as a, in my conventional assignment and uh, got through the selection process within the Ranger Regiment and ultimately went to war with them uh, during the invasion of Afghanistan in 20, not, uh, 2001, excuse me, 20 years ago. Uh, so uh, it just shows you how long this conflict has gone on. But uh, um, it was an amazing experience. I met uh, the finest people I've met in my life. That's where, where I met Pat Work. Uh, he and his wife, Mara, are dear friends of our family. Uh, they're the godparents uh, to our daughter. So what I think of him. And uh, But, uh, you know, really, as you take a step back, he, several other, uh, many Black Knight football players, Lee Langford, John Stoll, these guys have become uh, not, I mean, just like family, uh, really uh, wonderful people. Lee Gibson, Benny Coronado, uh, guys I served with uh, over the years, they're, they're great. And uh, I mean, I asked Ben Coronado to be a civilian aide of the Secretary of Army, represent us in the state of Arizona. It's a program. There have been less than 500 people since 1922 that have ever been in that program. 
and they select these individuals to represent the army in our communities. Uh, and Ben's out there. He's been very successful in business since getting out of the army, beautiful family, three children. Uh, and, um, you know, these guys continue to serve their country. They've been an important part of my life. They've been there for me on the worst day of my life and the best day of my life. Uh, so, um, you know, it's why it's so important to me that uh, for a host of reasons uh, that the, the institution continues to remain strong and produce the best that America has to offer because we need them now more than ever. Yeah, I was going to ask you really how did you become an Army football fan, right? Or how did you become, you know, because I, I've, I've heard that you're, you're pretty, you know, diehard Army football fan uh, to a point. Does that start with when you're in? maybe serving and you're spending time with these guys or did it start long before that? No, you know, the first time I think I went to an army Navy game was back in the nineties. Okay. Late 90s. And um, then obviously 2001, I was in Afghanistan, but so it became very hard to go to games. Uh, but um, was back, I think it was in, I think it was 99 the first time I went. Um, I know. And, and you, you got the, you know, you got into an environment where they all got back together because you were serving with a handful of these guys uh, and you got to meet several of the others, uh, several others. And then over time, over the course of 20 years, I've worked with many of them, spent time with them in the Pentagon and other places. Uh, and as you kind of grew up in life together, married, have children, and we all kind of grown as individuals, uh, I've grown up with them. Uh, and there's some very difficult experiences and then obviously wonderful ones like weddings and baptisms and things like that. So uh, football was a big part of it. Uh, but uh, really, uh, you know, the life experiences that I share with them are, are much greater. Yeah, I was going to ask um, when you're the secretary of the army, you talked about being, you know, well, you talked about being at Oklahoma, right? And I'm sure you got you got to attend an Army Navy game and what that experience was like. Because yeah, you were what you talked about your first Army Navy game in 1999, but then what it was like when you were you know Secretary of the Army and and the Army Navy game is is going on. And I was going to ask you about how, how what was that like. So um, you know, they they uh, I think I was the Under Secretary for one in 2017 and in 18. And um, well, 17 was the one with the snow, right? Wasn't that the one with the white uniforms, the, month, the Mount, 10th Mountain game? Yeah. And the year after was the big red one. Yeah, that's how I remember. Yeah. Uh, you know, those were terrific. You stand on the sidelines. It's hard not to, you know, be getting anxiety because, uh, you know, so much is at stake because there's – you really have to look at it from our perspective. The trash talking in the Pentagon is at epic proportion and – you got midshipmen coming down and putting crap all over your doors, breaking into your office. And we got guys from the old guard guarding our offices and stuff like that. And uh, so beating them is, is as important to us as it is to the Corps of Cadets uh, for bragging rights. Um, but, um, you know, when you go, uh, you, you realize, you know, that game is even bigger than, quite frankly, West Point or the Naval Academy. I mean, all over the planet, people are watching that game on aircraft carriers and forward operating bases and posts and stations all over the world. Um, and they get to represent the institution. They stand down there with the team. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's hard to articulate how, how blessed I was to get to do it several times. 
from that standpoint. And then ultimately to get to address the team. You know, I've been in the locker room after losing one, but I've been in the locker room uh, for winning three. So it felt a lot better, uh, obviously. Uh, but, you, you know, how much emotion is involved with that game and what it means to those players, what it means to the institution. Uh, to be a part of it is extraordinary. And it's something that I'll remember the rest of my life and, and cherish. Um, but uh, it really was, uh, if you know, it was fun. This last one that we had uh, in the midst of a pandemic. And uh, we came down to the wire. Uh, the city of Philadelphia wasn't going to let us have the core or the midshipmen there. And I balked at that. I said, these kids, especially those seniors that did not have this opportunity. Um, and uh, we went back and forth and the city said they were going to sue us. And, you know, we got like 10,000 lawyers. So I'm like, bring it on, man. You know, uh, and uh, and I you know, I mean, I'd rather be in a lawsuit for the next five years than have these 4,000 <laughs> cadets coming after me. But you, you knew how important it was to them. So uh, we went back and forth. And the great thing is, is the Naval Academy Stadium is in Annapolis. So when you go outside of the stadium, you're in downtown Annapolis. So now the city of Annapolis, the state of Maryland, wouldn't let you do it. And Mikey Stadium is on federal property. So we had right away, we had the chess moves. We had them boxed. And uh, we boxed the Naval Academy really hard. And Sec Nav took a beating. And he's, a, he's an alumnus. And, uh, and we got the game to have it up at Mikey. And um, we're pretty excited about that. The thing that's a real you know a bummer is that we couldn't get the parents there. We were working out the math of who we'd have. We had the cadets. We had the, the brigade of midshipmen. And you had a lot of faculty and staff. Uh, that was the real thing that hurts, that the parents didn't get to see, especially the seniors get to play their final Army-Navy game. But they got to play. Yeah. And you, and you look at the history. They shut them out. That hadn't been done since 1969. Yeah. Uh, and, and then to play there, the last time they played there was like the 40s. Yeah. Uh, so extraordinary amount of history that day, and um, and just listening to all the corps cadets, you know, with about two minutes to go, yelling, "Start the buses!" <laughs> I mean, it just felt so good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it felt so good. It was criminal, uh, and then uh, and then they got to win the game, so it was great. Yeah, that was a that's something that you're not going to see, you know, back to back weeks of. Um, you know, Army hosting Navy and Air Force for the Commander in Chief's Trophy, right? And the way those games went down, too. Did you, were you were you at the Air Force game also, or? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was. I mean, how incredible is that for them? The 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 way those two games unfolded to witness that. I mean, like you said, um, there are the there are the, the brigade of midshipmen, there are the corps of cadets, and maybe some personnel from each academies, but not a lot of people got a chance to witness both of those games in person like you did and to know your position and know how, how really hard you root for, you know, army, anything. I mean, that must've been really, um, what an experience. Yeah. You know, and the incredibly hard fought games. If you, if you look back at that army Navy game, uh, it was really that defensive line. I mean, they, they absolutely pounded Navy, and they couldn't they couldn't get off the ball. They barely got across the fifty, and they had one goal line stand that was incredible. Yeah, um, that uh, I remember. I just it was it's just amazing. I was right down there watching it, standing right behind Munkin, and um, 
amazing. And then the following week when the, the offensive line literally marches it 80 yards down the field and punches it in on fourth down. Uh, I mean, Daryl Williams picked me up off the ground. I mean, it was, we, you know, and, and you was, and you looked around and there wasn't a lot of folks in the stadium because of the pandemic. Uh, but there was the same level of emotion from the families that were there and the handful of faculty and staff that were there. Cause you know, it was we're approaching the holidays. Uh, and then you go down there uh, in the locker room and then we had another battle for about a week about a bowl game. Yeah. Because uh, the, what's it? The, was it the Liberty bowl we're signed up for now? Yeah, right, you, yeah, they, they were they, able to they, play. They, the blinked, they blinked, but then they got oh, the opportunity to play West Virginia. Yeah, so you look at those football players; they didn't get to go home from like August to about January. You know the mental toughness it takes to stay focused to continue to do that. And obviously, one of those those seniors they have that opportunity to get to play in that bowl game, and that, and they did that, and they played you know they played West Virginia tough that whole four quarters. Um, but uh, it's it was a lot of challenges, very adverse the adversity they faced for the season, out off the football field, to continue to make that even tougher for them. Uh, it's it's really it's something. How proud you got to be of these of those men in particular on the football team, but all the sports teams face this. Yeah, I mean, look, the baseball team has gone to the playoffs what three of the last four years. Yep, lacrosse teams making the tournament. Uh, you know, the, the rugby teams are exceptional. Uh, all those sports are making it to postseason play. It's, it's, it's a great thing. No doubt. I was going to ask you if you had any insight on I, I got a lot of questions about this um, uh, over the last few months about, um, you know, Army won the commander in chief's trophy. Right. And uh, but they didn't get the visit to the White House. You know, was that more of a pandemic thing, you think? Or do you have any insight on that? Maybe why um, the team wasn't able to make it to the, the White House and, you know, that earn that fulfill that honor that the commander in chief trophy champions get? Yeah. You know, all of those events were have really been compressed. Uh, many teams that won national championships did not get the opportunity to go see the president and have the Rose Garden ceremony. Uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, you know the spoils of, of winning that uh, that coveted trophy. But uh, these are extraordinary times. Uh, say all that. It's unfortunate. I mean, they're, they're playing a game in empty stadiums, and it's, so it's awful, you know. But they're still getting to have the opportunity to play. But um, there are things that they they're going to miss out on. And for that, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I guess that fires up the team that's coming back, right, to to uh, defend the Commander-in-Chief's trophy and hopefully maybe uh, next time around get that trip to the White House. And, you know, um, this – Ryan, we talked about how this Army team, right, what they overcame last year, right, in the season that they were able to have Commander-in-Chief's uh, Commander trophy champions, uh, you know, nine-win season. And a lot of these guys are back. You know, a lot of these guys are back, and we're getting really close to this the season opening game at Georgia State. I was just wanted to get maybe your take a little bit about, um, man, they they announced their captains today. They announced their four captains, and Ryan, they're all on defense. You know, I, I don't know the last time I've ever saw that for an Army football team where all the captains are on defense. Four of them. Um, Mark Hal Broughton said, "Yeah, I saw that. Back. He's a junior, right? Uh, I yeah. got to know him a little bit. He is an amazing story." Uh, what a great kid he is. And uh, 
got to know him a little bit, and, and uh, I'm glad he got picked. Uh, tremendous character in that young man. Yeah, his mom is uh, Frederica Daniels, who's actually posting comments on here. So his mom is actually listening right now. Oh, yeah. good. She did an amazing job raising him, and uh, we're lucky to have him. Yeah, and you look, so it's Markel, Cedric Cunningham, Nolan Cockrell, and Eric Smith, all from a defense that led the nation. And oh, yeah, Cockrell, he's a beast. He's the one that uh, on goal line stand, right? Isn't he the one? Yeah, he's the one in the goal line stand. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, terrific. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, uh, I, I've i talked a little with Markel. I have not had a chance. I did not get the chance to talk with those other guys. Uh, but, um, look, I, you know, defense wins championships. This is, you know, that you, you keep these, you keep the other teams' offense off the field. That's how we're going to, you know, going to get back to a bowl game. You're going to beat Navy again and keep that trophy in the locker room where it belongs. Yeah, I mean, just um, the talent that they have coming back, and just the fact that you know, I thought it was pretty unique to have those four guys be named captains. Um, that was that was that was that was the news of the day. Um, and just just wanted to get your take a little bit on. Just like you said, just watching a game at Mikey Stadium, you were able to take in both of those Commander and Chiefs trophy games. Um, even though it was a little bit different in the pandemic, the historic um, setting of Mikey Stadium and what 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 that was like for you to you know be able to get to a game there and just the surroundings, so to speak. So uh, you know, if you look at the fall before um, the pandemic, the fall of nineteen. Uh, I went up there to see him play, uh, I think it was UMass. And this was after about three or four straight losses. And everybody's really getting worried about the season and uh, spent about two days with the core going to all kinds of sports. And um, watched the team really turn themselves back around and they pounded UMass and they beat them by a couple touchdowns. But physically really put it to them. Uh, but it was fun because, the, you know, the core was there and the whole stadium was there. And um, it's, you know, it's it's a fun time because the fans are very emotional about it. They're very bought in. Uh, there's not a there's there's not the like you see in some college stadiums where there people are there. And it's the size of the stadium is about just right where you have the, the size of a crowd where there's not a bad seat in the place, uh, you know, similar to uh, some more. Newer stadiums like TCU and others, there's about 40,000. Uh, when you're in stadiums like that, you can really stay into the game. It's just loud enough. It's just uh, where you can feel it. Uh, so I've enjoyed every time I've been to the game. I've been to many games there before that. Uh, but, the, you know, the vibe of the crowd is good. They're all into the game. They love being there. And I was there. It was a beautiful day uh, for, prior to the pandemic. So uh, it was a really good time. And, uh, and they won. So it made it even better. Yeah, and once they kick the tsunami, the song tsunami, and the cadets get rolling, and you see the, the the football players get the get the cadets going too. I mean, that is before the first kickoff. That is something to watch too. Not to take any, you know, you're having the the ball being brought in off a, a guy jumping out of a out of a helicopter on the good days, right? Where there's no wind and just the traditions at West Point is definitely something that you know people should not once things. We don't know yet if there'll be fans back this year um, at Mikey Stadium. We hope there'll be some, and hopefully they'll get back to some of those uh, traditions that you know people that have been following the program have loved to see uh, every game day. I, I don't know where we are right now with that. I hope I hope that they. Uh, I think that there might be 
similar to maybe what the pro professional ranks are doing, where if you've been vaccinated, maybe they'll, there'll be an opportunity for you to maybe see the Army game. This, this well, I, I think if you look at the trend in the country right now, I think by the fall, we're going to be in really good shape. The uh, vaccinations are moving out uh, very quickly. Uh, you know, and what, what the what you try to find out is, or you, what you'll probably never really find out is that the percentage of the population's already had COVID-19, coupled with the numbers of individuals that have been vaccinated, uh, America is going to reach herd, herd uh, immunity a lot sooner than we think. Uh, but you, you look around the country right now, masks are coming off and people are going back to work. Uh, we're going to beat this thing finally once and for all, and we're going to get everybody back in stadiums and we're going to have fun and do the things we enjoy in life. But um, I, if I were to bet on it, I would be bullish on people being in stadiums this fall. Yeah, September 11th is Army's home opener against um, Western Kentucky. So, I mean, that's something that we're definitely going to keep an eye on. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about your, you know, just your your love for the academy, football, the Army, anything else you'd like to like to share with us before we uh, before we end this? Uh, look, I, you know, I have a, a obviously a tremendous fondness for the institution because of the men and women that I have met, that I've served with in uniform and in the Pentagon as an appointee. Uh, they've become my closest friends. They are the godparents to our daughter. They were at our wedding. They've been uh, instrumental at every facet of my life. Uh, the best days of my life, the worst days of my life, they were there. Uh, it produces such amazing uh, men and women that are the foundation of every Army officer cohort that we have on active duty. So uh, keeping it strong and keep it, keeping uh, the best and brightest in there and get graduate them and put those bars on their shoulders is important. It's for the, it's, 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 it's important for the Army as it is for the whole country. Uh, so you keep telling their stories, Sal, and uh, and I'll, we'll keep watching. And I, I told you about some of the guests that want I've talked to that want to come on. So We'll get you uh, some more guests, and we'll keep uh, pumping the Black Knight Nation, okay? I appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.